Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Clubhouse podcast. I'm joined, as ever, by my willing, able, increasingly fatigued co-host, Steve Carroll. I can't remember the last time I had sleep. Proper sleep. You really have been. You really have been putting it in. I've been gallivanting, haven't I? All over the place. Feels like that's been the case for quite a while. Every time I speak to you, you go, it's going to be more normal now. I'm going to be here for a bit. I'm not going anywhere. And then the next thing is, you're off again. It's just, can I please have some normality? Can I just do a, can I just do a nine or five thirty for a few days? It's what it's what makes the job exciting, Tom. It's why I love the job that I do. That you never know what's coming, do you? It's a bit like that, isn't it? I'm quite up for this podcast today because um, we're going to talk about. The RNA's new golf facility in Glasgow, Golf It. Uh, and you only went yesterday, so this is going to be like a genuine conversation where you tell me what it's like, and I'm going to be able to ask you questions about it's it. It's absolutely hot off the press, isn't it? Because it doesn't open officially until. So we're recording this Friday morning. It doesn't open officially until tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah, so I'm quite, I'm quite keen to have the sort of like a normal chat about it, where you are informing me like you normally do. And we're also going to have a chat about um, 14 clubs, aren't we? Why we have 14 clubs. Uh, Neither of us have got 14 clubs at the moment, which has sort of inspired the conversation. Uh, So we're going to get into why it's 14 clubs in the first place. Do we need 14 clubs? Would it be better if we had more? Would it be better if we had less? Uh, A bit of a dive into uh, the history of it all and a bit of a throw forward into how you could alter the number of clubs to perhaps change a little bit of... um, the nuances around the game but for now we're going to start with the future of golf is it the future of golf it's a new vision it's or a new it vision golf? for golf or, it, or is it just the nine holder in glasgow really no I, I think it's i think it's a bit more than that okay well let's let's begin at the beginning so i i have read about it when it was at sort of concept stage in um the trade magazine Golf Business Quarterly um, that we publish on behalf of the PGA. Um, at that point, it was all kind of like artist sketches and uh, highfalutin ideas about how this was going to present a different vision for golf. Um, I have had a sneaky look at your write-up of yesterday, so I do have a sort of little bit of an idea about the project. But do you want to start by sort of giving us the, the background? Like, why why, why are the RNA doing it? They've, they've actually bought the facility, haven't they? They did, yes. That's right. They um, So this was the former Leatham Hill. I think that's the correct way of, of, of saying it. This is the former Leatham... No, it's oh, not. Go on. No, sure it's Leatham Hill. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with Leatham Hill. <clears throat> people can, people okay. can give me abuse if it's wrong. But this was... Um, this was a well-established facility. I think it had been around for about a century, and it was a municipal golf course. It's right in the centre of Glasgow. It's like the housing estates all around it, um, and it's well known and it's been well publicised. The kind of decline in municipal golf in that part of the world. And so, is it in? Is it is it in like a posh bit or a down at hill bit? Or do you not want to? Say well, I, you know, I didn't go on a tour of the surrounding area, but but they, they look. They, they, it looks like an, it's in the middle of a housing estate. It looks like a normal housing estate. You know, you it, it actually it's a little bit of a surprise when you get to it because as everybody knows, um, I'm not massively great with directions. Anyone who's ever been in a car with me will tell you that. But you, you literally... You know, are you, why, why are you so bad? I, like, it's true that. Why can't you follow a sat-nav? I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm terrible. I'm terrible with directions. So, um, but but the point I'm getting to with this is you you, you do kind of it is you, you're in the middle of a housing estate and then you see the car park. It, it's right there, and then there's obviously this big green space in the middle of um, a load of a load of houses and high rises in the distance and so on. So it's like absolutely and absolutely in the centre of peopledom. Um, and this this place was struggling. Um, and the RNA for some time now have had this uh, idea about um, trying to make golf more accessible, trying to make it more inclusive, trying to make it easier for people to get into, trying to break down these barriers of people walking into. These, these are my words, not theirs. You know, traditional golf clubs maybe being, you know, sort of not having the experience that they wanted. So anyway, they've. Um, they they bought this um they bought this kind of hub Leatham Hill Leatham Hill Golf Club they they bought it I think it cost them about two hundred grand which, I mean it's, which is an absolute steal isn't it um so they so they bought this place and the idea of it is that it's as as they put it kind of like a new a new vision for golf no barriers and we'll we'll talk about some of the actual things around it in, in a minute or two but. Um, but the idea is make golf as easy as possible for people and don't just make it about golf as well. There are lots of other things you can do there, trail walking, there's adventure golf. There's going to be paddle tennis there soon enough. They're about to build some paddle tennis courts. So what is the what is the kind of inventory? Like what is there there or what's on the list to be there? So currently um, there are there is adventure golf. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. That's very good, actually, the adventure golf. I think there are three adventure golf what is courses. The- can you explain to me how adventure golf is different from crazy golf, or has it just been rebranded? I think it's exactly the same thing. It look it looks like it looks like every. I mean, it's been designed by the kids actually, um, which is. Which Does it have a, really a theme? Is it like train spotting theme? I, I didn't get close enough to that bit to see it. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of not really in their target market for adventure golf, um, but there's I think there's three courses there, and it's it's like within a. It's within its own separate area, and then the, you 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 sort of that's on your left hand side as you come up, and you walk towards the um, you walk towards the building itself. Building doesn't look like any golf place I've ever seen before. I mean, like there's there's no there was no discernible reception area. There's like a greeting point. Um, maybe that will change, but that's how that's how it was yesterday. You sort of say, say who you are, and then. The um the clubhouse and I use this as an inverted commas is essentially a big open space and they call it the hub. Um, this people always call yeah, it. The hub. A, people love calling. There's a the big hub. pizza oven, um, in the middle of the room. Um, the bar yesterday was like um was like a mobile bar. It was like in the back of a it was like in the side of someone's van. Um, there was a DJ doing stuff, and all the seating, all the colouring is really bright. It's all big, sort of yellows and reds, and you ca- you don't actually really see much golf at this point. And the golf's sort of round the back, so you you go through the building, and then you find the driving range, which is well, I mean, we'll, we'll get into loads of detail, but the driving range is unbelievable, um, absolutely amazing place. And then there's the the, the nine hole golf course there as well, and there there is still building going on there. Um, but they're going to be they're going to be bringing in paddle tennis, pickleball. I think they call it in the US, don't they? Which is enormously popular. Yeah. It's like growing in popularity all the time. Um, there are. It's a sport. A sport for people who peaked at high school. Yeah. 
<laughs> there, there's trail walks there you can do that are that are kind of like built into the to the to the property. So you, there's this kind of symbiosis with a golf club course. I think you'll be able to do some bike stuff as well. I mean, so it is it is ostensibly about golf. There's no getting away from it. The place is called Golf It, um, but there's a lot more there well, is to it, do. Is it called Golf It or is it called Golf? No, it? it's called Golf It. It exclamation mark golf golf. The, the food's quite different as well. Um, the food's quite different as well, Tom. Just to finish off, because you you, it's kind of like street vendors and street food, and then you go in and obviously there's the pizza oven and you can have burgers, I think, and you can have falafels. But there's there's like quite a lot of different choice there. Um, you know, you're not you're not stuck with um, you know what the facilities. I think there are actual vendors there um, outside that are selling wares as well. Yeah. Should we start with Adventure Golf? Have you ever had a good experience at Adventure Golf? Yeah. You played much Adventure Golf? I played golf? Adventure Golf with you about three weeks ago at Putt Stars. Oh, yeah. Did you take your own putter? I did not. I, I think, I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of like, that's kind of like, when I, when I, in a former life, when I was a snooker reporter, I once played the Chinese superstar Ding Jun Wei in an ex, in an exhibition game before the UK Championship, and I turned up and took a cue off the rack, and he got his cue out of his case and the bottom of the snooker table, and this feels to me like the equivalent of it. You don't take your own putter to put stars, do you? Yeah, it's all the rage, isn't it? Like everyone is saying, oh, you got to do adventure golf, and there's all these like. Um inner city or shopping center uh versions of it with like fluorescent lights and things like that it's i just i don't know i just always think it's a sort of um a pastime of the sort of chronically uninspired it's like what should we do with the kids today it's raining we've been to the cinema eight times already why don't we go and do some adventure golf it was Uh, and then you get there and it's always intensely irritating like maybe we should have a podcast on is adventure golf too hard how do we make adventure golf easier i was i'd always we we went and played because it was raining on saturday at the one um down the road from our house it's so frustrating like the whole thing is just designed to annoy you and what do you know when you take your sort of eight-year-old to go and play it they get really irritated that the ball's not going in the hole well the the kids that i saw using it yesterday and there was a there was a busy trade um they were loving it. It looked a bit different. It, I, I think I'm right in saying this. It was. It's been designed by local kids themselves, um, so they've put in. So what is there? Is there like a? Is there like a? Uh, an iPad and a switch on every hole, so they don't have to do the golf, <laughs> so they can just play on the right. There was water. I saw water on What's one that? of the holes. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get close enough to see it, but um, to see it to go hole to give you like a hole by hole breakdown, give you like a routing. <laughs> but but there, but I definitely saw some water on there. Um, and I thought that's a bit different. I haven't seen a, I haven't seen sort of a hazard in, a, in adventure golf before. If my kids designed an adventure golf course, it would definitely just involve an armchair and an iPad, and the hazards would be bottles of Prime. Now at an affordable price, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, right, okay. So there's adventure golf. Fair enough. Um, what else have you said? You said there's a pizza oven. This, I mean, it's like kind of like. QI alarm stuff, isn't it? What we're going to do to entertain families? Well, we'll need a pizza oven. Again, it was doing a good trade yesterday. People seem to be getting into it. They had a lot of um, there's a there's a community nearby. I think it's St Paul's community. So they had a lot of the community there yesterday, as well as media bods like me, um, trying out 
all these different bits of the facility and the, the yeah the, that that was doing that was doing a great trade. I do I did I, I enjoyed the hub actually. I, I know we're having I know you're having sort of a little poke about it, but I'm I I, I do not like I, the one thing I've realised that I really really like is lively, um, and uh, it will be lively in there, um, and it'll be busy and the fact that it's sort of open air a little bit, I mean, it looks like a sort of music festival hangar, you know, you expect there to be a band sort of going on, but I do think it is quite a nice, comfortable space for a lot of people to get together. I mean, it'd be interesting in February when the place is like minus five. Um, but, yeah. but I, I do think that, um, I do think that it was quite a welcoming space and it was quite a lively space. And I was sort of contrasting this with, some of my experiences of like big leather sofas and nobody saying a word and and I and I kind of thought you know what actually this is this is kind of what I want yeah you know, I quite like to quite like things to be bustling and it was bustling in there it was it was it was really cool but no use for recording a podcast clearly mm. um so what's the drum range like yeah amazing absolutely absolutely right. amazing i mean let's take the colors aside right I mean, it is very very bright it's very minimalist in terms of fixtures and fittings for, you know, seats and stuff like that. It is the sort of place where, you know, if you if your kid bangs a club off the off a seat or the desk, no one's going to be that bothered about it. It is it is very very simple and, and straightforward in there in, in in terms of the way that it's presented. Um, there are fifty two bears there though. Um, it's floodlit. It's on two tiers. Um, and every single bear's got top tracer in it. Like every bear's got top tracer in it, and it's just, it's just, right. incre- it's really, really cool. Actually, um, my my big frustration with driving ranges is you can never get in them because they're always really, really busy. And what they do with this one is you don't pay for balls as such; you pay for time. So you book, you, you kind of book a time, and it's half an hour. I think it's like, I think it's like might be six quid for half an hour as an individual. I think it might be 10 quid for an hour. These these facts and figures are all on Golf It's website, so you can take a look for yourself. And the, and the idea is, you know, bang as many balls as you want. You know, there's not kind of like, oh, 50, now I've got to go and spend another five pounds. If you've done your 50 balls in 10 minutes, go and get another 50 balls. You just you sort of go until you're, I, mean, I talked about snooker earlier on, it's like go until the light runs out almost on the on the table and i really really like that i thought that's a very good and progressive way of doing it because i often feel a bit short-changed at driving ranges um and i've particularly felt that where they've invested in this kind of kit because what tends to happen is you have a price and then someone someone invests in like expensive tracking and then the price doubles for your balls and you go great i mean you i understand there's like um these things have to be paid for but do I want to pay £10 for 50 balls? Whereas I think the, the 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 kind of element of time is a really, 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 really good way of doing it, I think. Um, so that is, I think that, yeah, I think that that, that is a, it's a kind of non-colloquial way of expressing what you're buying, right? So if you're a sort of beginner golfer, you've got no idea if the right amount of balls is 5, 15 or 50, have you? But you understand what half an hour is. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and I think it makes it easier to manage demand and manage people as well. Because as I said earlier on, one of my huge frustrations is I go to a driving range and there's a queue, and I think, oh, brilliant! Now I've got to wait. 
Um, whereas you can book people in and you can book, and it's not just individuals as well as like team prices. So you might pay a little bit more, but then you can share the time around a number of people in the same bay, which I think is cool. Um, you can hire clubs, uh, but but I, I, I don't know if it was just a feature of yesterday, but I definitely saw like a lot of clubs that were just there. They had sets of clubs that you could go and take clubs from and for free um and hit those kind of hit hit shots without necessarily having to bring your own clubs and i think what that's speaking to is yeah there'll be lots of people like me and you tom who use that facility and we'll take our sticks but they're also trying to get the people who will will come there for something else maybe like adventure golf or paddle tennis and go all right well am i gonna have a go at this oh no i haven't brought my own clubs well it doesn't matter because here's a driver and here's a seven iron and here's a nine iron so um, I, i thought the driving range was i mean it's very very big um, and I thought, I thought it was um, I, it, definitely a place where I thought, yeah, I could, actually, I could actually go and practice here. The range itself is large; it's a really big piece of land. Um, I think it gets to about three hundred meters, three hundred and ten meters. So there'll be some big ears who'll try and find the back, but it slopes uphill. There are no greens; there are no like practice greens on the range. But there's lots of there are lots of targets. I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures that that we put up. Yeah, there's have, lots yeah. of targets. So the, the- the driving range thing is interesting because um, Top Tracer is obviously an amazing bit yeah. of kit. Um, there's lots of different things you can do with it. You can play some games on it um, for kids and stuff. Um, but it's not Top Golf, is it? Um, so that that sort of feels like it's kind of aimed at maybe actual golfers, like say they want people who are already playing the game to go and use yeah, it. Yeah, rather than I was talking, I was game. talking to people about this yesterday on site, and I think that Top Golf has evolved into something different. So I, I I was asked about Top Golf and I said I would go to Top Golf if I wanted to if I was out with a few pals I wanted to go and have something to eat and I wanted to have a few beers um, and that's that's when I would go to Top Golf it's part of an evening's entertainment whereas I think this is aimed more at proper golfers and those who are get, just getting into the sport and are trying to get a feel for it and trying to work out whether they actually want to play it or not. Right. So that, I mean, that is that is sort of an interesting nuance. What's the golf course like? Yeah. yeah well, I, I had to bear in mind. You've got to bear in mind that um, what is the target market for this golf course, and the target market is getting people into golf. So it is designed for people who have not played a lot of golf. Um, so um, it was an eighteen-hole golf course. It's been slimmed into nine. Scott McPherson, who um, who designed the cult course at close house among others he was brought in by the rna to do it um and and there are things that help you to play the game so you know a lot of there are are very few bunkers on the golf course for a start i mean i i counted about seven in total and it might be that i'm missing a couple um a lot of the approaches seem to me to be contoured in such a way that they try to find the greens you know so um if you like so, like a like one of those bowling alleys with like pads up. Yeah, the side. yeah, like little ramps. Yeah, I mean, not not quite as ostentatious as that, but but it's it's friendly, right? There are no traps around the greens, really. I mean, there's one or two bunkers, but they're there basically to help frame a hole, in my opinion. As much as right, mm-hmm. this is an actual this is an actual hazard. There is some penalty. There are some penalty areas there. Sorry, water hazards for normal people. Um, and and the rough is a bit meaty in places. One of the things I really liked was this was this concept of called star tees, where they've got like an astroturf square, 
and then there's a star in the middle of it. I put one of the pictures on on on, on my first impressions piece on on nationalclubgolfer.com if you want to have a look at it. And all of these are around fifty yards away, um, and it's perfect for those kids that are a bit bored with the range and just want to see what's going on in the golf course because they cannot do any damage to the golf course, you know, off these off these mats. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're sort of digging their club head into the ground. It will cause no damage to the golf course. And Ah, uh, oh, yeah, but I think, I mean, I saw that. I saw the picture of that. I thought that was brilliant because that is, as a parent trying to get their kids into golf, that is one of the most frustrating things. If you take them to anything approaching a full-length golf course, there's just often there's nowhere for them to tee off Like because what you're really trying to do is get them to tee off from the 150-yard markers or closer. So you end up just sort of making up your own teeing ground. Um, sometimes there's like some, I don't know, tiger tees or whatever, um, where people have like put a couple of tee markers on a bit of fairway, but it's still sort of very uninspired. Um, I thought that was really cool, actually. That makes a big difference, I think, to kids that they're looking for the star on the next hole and that's their spot. Yeah. Um, I that but there's, there's, I mean, there is enough in this golf course to challenge every sort of player. So I played it off the back. So there's five sets of tees. Um, I played it off the red tees, which is... 2,431 yards in total. So there are, I'm going to say this, there are four par fours, four par threes, and a par five. And the par five is meaty. It's 517 yards. It is, a, if for proper golfers, it is a testy drive because there is a bunker on the right there. Um, and then the second shot, it doglegs severely round on the approach. So you have to, you actually have to think about it. And if you get in that rough, it, I mean, I lost the ball on the first. You know, I, 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 barely, I, I just leaked it slightly right. It went into the rough. I never saw it again. Um, there are some decent elevation changes on this golf course. Uh, there were a couple of semi-blind approaches. There's, I had one on the, I'd one on the par five because I put my ball in the safe space down the right after my second, so I couldn't really see much of the green. Could only just see the top of the flag. I think it's the sixth as well. That's another hole where your approach to the green if you get a decent drive into play is uphill. You're only going to be able to see the top of the flag. So there is for proper golfers, and I use that again in inverted commas, you know, those who play a lot of club golf, there is enough challenge there to keep you interested. Um, some of the greens are, are a bit shapey in places. The third is particularly contoured. If you get in the wrong place, which I did, it sort of just rolls completely off the right-hand side to the back. Um, so there is enough there um, for anyone. Uh, but but it's also, you know, I, I talked about the star tees, the, the orange tees, I think. You, you won't find a, a hole longer than 390 yards, and that's the par five. Um, a couple of the par threes off that tee are very, very short. So, so, so... There is there is a bit for everyone, and and the other thing that I think is really worth talking about is the pricing because it's incredibly cheap. Um, during a weekday, you can play nine holes there for a tenner. They've got they've got this thing Tom called Fast Five Fridays. I saw that. Yeah, five pounds five holes after five on a Friday. Yeah, and they think it'll take about fifty minutes. So a fiver for five holes, and then obviously you probably go back and you probably spend a bit of money in the bar as well. So like everything about it is um, well done, I think. The tees and greens, I mean, you, look, you'd expect this because it's got the might of the RNA behind it. So you'd expect the conditioning of those areas to be good, but they're really, really good. I mean, I mean, 
interesting to see what it's like in January and February, obviously, in the in the midst of a harsh Scottish winter. But you won't find a course of that type at that price with better greens than I played yesterday. So, you know, there, there's something for the beginner, but there's something for everyone. Right, okay. So this is sort of quite a classic sort of uh, journalistic, journalist curve that you go, yeah. on, isn't it? So what happens is we all kind recency of, bias. We yeah, we all sit on the sidelines, being sort of snarky about stuff. Then we get an invite to go and see it, and then we come back and go. Do you know what? I think it's really good actually. Yeah. It's a kind of classic thing where I've watched you lot say, "Ah, oh, I don't like so and so golfer," and then you get fifteen minutes for the to interview them, and then you come back and say, "Do you know what? He's actually a really nice guy." I've never said that. <laughs> So, if you one of us is going to have to be cynical about it, so I'll do that. Um, so, how is it different from Leeds Golf Centre? It's all joined up in the in, so everything. It, the The pathway is complete. I was saying this to people yesterday. My little girl, she's seven. She adores adventure golf. She loves it. You know, kind of like uh, put stars, that sort of stuff. She really, really, really likes it. But when I've tried to get it to the next step and I've said, right, you know, should we go to a driving range? She won't do it. And part of the reason for that, I think, is it's off site. You know, we have to go to somewhere different in order to do that. So one of the things I really like about this is the, the whole golfing journey is there and it's all in the same center. So you've got the adventure golf for people who've never, ever picked up a club before. Then you've got the food got right let's just go and have something to eat then you've got the driving range right amy should we just go and have a little bat on here and see how you feel right we might do that for a bit well here's the golf course well i can't take you i can't take you off the orange tees at 1600 yards but i can take you to the star tees off 50 yards and just hit away and it doesn't matter what you do and that that is what i really like about this place and that's how, why i think it differs from other places that we've been to before that the whole journey into golf from start to finish is all there in the one centre. Right, okay. So who who do you who do you think then when when it's in three weeks time when it's been open, who's going to be in there? I think it'll be a mix, actually. I think I think a golfer like me will definitely go and use the driving range because the driving range is exceptional. Um, and top trace is brilliant and it's not massively expensive you know six quid for half an hour about as many balls as you want perfect and if i want to go and have a drink i can have a drink i think that um it will get a lot of kids in there but i but i also think they'll have to be a concerted approach and i know they're going to do this there's going to have to be a concerted approach to get people in there they're going to have to go into schools um and do quite a lot of targeted education to get some new players in Otherwise, you are relying on someone like me saying, right, Amy, you, we've played adventure golf. Shall we now go and do this? The ideal would be, as well as everything being in the one the one place, that the RNA will go in, or golf it people will go into schools and say, right, come and have a free taster session. Come and do this, come and do that. They'll hold tournaments there. They're going to hold competitions there for proper golfers. Um, so a guy there was, who listens to our podcast, actually, so I'm going to shout him out, um, was saying that the course is going to get rated. I think it is already rated, actually. It's got a course rating and a slope rating on the scorecard. So the the, the facility is there and the, the, the for them to hold competitions now. And I think it'll get – I think it should abs- absolutely get onto iGolf 
or I think it's called um, Open Play in Scotland, it should definitely sort of tap into that and get those kind of non non club members playing it on a regular basis. But I also think club members like me will go there and will play it sort of semi regularly because there is enough challenge and it's and it's incredibly cheap, like a tenner in a weekend. You've, sorry, tenner on a weekday, twenty quid on a weekend. I think you know, find me better value than that. So presumably, this place is gonna is not going to have a membership. Do you know what? I don't know. That's one of the few questions I didn't ask. Trust you to find the only thing that I didn't ask anybody. Is it going to? I, I, I look. I don't get the sense that it's a. It's going to be a member. It's. It feels to me as a pay and play organization. I. If they are doing it, I don't think they should. I think it. Well, let's just go with. I think we'll go with no. So I think that it's an interesting thing. Um, we were looking, weren't we, the other day in the office at some of the England golf number. Well, you've written about it, in fact, haven't you? About the England golf, iGolf numbers. Yeah. They're up to 50,000 now. Just over, they? yeah. I don't know what the numbers are in Scotland, do you? They're much lower. Um, that's not a criticism. There are fewer players in Scotland than there are in England. That's just a fact. But also, I think open play hasn't been marketed so far as aggressively as iGolf has. I mean, you know, there's, there's been a lot of publicity yeah, for yeah. iGolf. But I mean, fifty thousand, as we were saying before. I mean, that we need to speak to somebody at England Golf about it on here. But I mean, that must go down as a significant success for iGolf. Um, in broad brush terms, that's kind of seven or eight percent of registered golfers in England. Um, what are they like six fifty or something maybe, in total? Maybe seven hundred now um, with the pandemic yeah. boom. Yeah, it's also two million quid additional money into the game. Um, and as we were saying the other day, one of the problems is that these iGolfers have got nowhere to play competitive golf. Yeah. So for a for a new facility, it's like a massive opportunity to say our doors are open every week. There's a competition on a Saturday that's independent golfer only, or is any golfer with a registered handicap. That I think is the direction of travel of the whole thing, personally. Or well, that's the sort of untapped market. I, I definitely think that will happen because what is what was the point of WHS? The RNA and the USGA said the point of it was almost a universal handicap system, wasn't it? That take that took it out of just club membership and gave every golfer, if they wanted it, the opportunity to have a handicap. So I'd be very surprised if if that's not integrated into this project for more avid golfers. So what we what you're describing basically is what we see a, a lot, don't we, in a lot of different um, walks of life is that we're getting it's basically a mixed use development. So if yeah. you were talking about like I don't know what's the shopping centre called where we went and did um, adventure golf, um, Thorpe Park, um, that is a shopping centre. But in order to keep you interested in the shopping centre, it's got some trendy food places, it's got a cinema. It's got a uh, adventure golf, so there's something else to do, not just shopping. Um, and every time you sort of go into like a big f- food festival or something, it's all street food, entertainment for the kids, um, to kind of um, something in addition to the main the main point of going. Um, so I think that is, yeah, golf should be tapping into that, shouldn't it? It's a it's a leisure activity. It's a, a way for people to spend their time, um, and it doesn't have to be so. Um, regimentally just about the golf course um i just wonder like what what are they what are the rna expecting to happen like is this something they're going to franchise is this something they want people to copy are they going to kind of license the model to people are they going to build other facilities or is that it i suspect all of those things um i did ask this question 
Um, and I think the answer that which came back was, um, let's see how this one does. Um, the proof's in the pudding. Um, we've built it. Now let's see how people react to it and how they engage with it. But if it, if it, is, if it is a success, I mean, I, I was saying yesterday, how many... How many uh, places like this are there throughout the UK? You know, like let's let's be blunt about it: a dilapidated former municipal golf course with land on the side in the middle of an urban centre. There's plenty of these sort of places, aren't there? Um, and some of them will get rewilded, obviously. Some of them will get turned into parks. But if this is a success, then there is the opportunity for it to be. Whether, whether the RNA do it themselves or whether they franchise it out under a Golfit brand, there is the opportunity, isn't there, for them to do that. Now, they've described this all the way through as a concept. Um, well, if the concept proves successful, then what do you do with successful concepts? You roll them out, don't you? So uh, if, if, yeah. it proves to be, if it proves to be what everyone hopes it will be up there, then I think we'll see more of these. I mean, I was talking about Manchester, places like that. Can you buy merch? I, I thought I could see like ball markers and some tees. I didn't know whether they were giving them away or whether you would have to buy them. But I mean, merch is a is an interesting angle. Would you wear a golf it t shirt? I'm just sort of just sort of trying to go for the the complete full house of stuff you must do these days. Quite, you must have a pizza. I quite like. You must have merch. I quite like the kit that the that the um, that the staff are wearing. Which uh, there's there's. I think Adidas are behind that because there were there were three stripe brands all over people's stuff. So I mean they've got they've got obviously some very significant backing from various places. There was there's some Scottsdale golf stuff going on there yesterday. Um, there's custom fitting rooms. Titleist's custom fitting room is obviously is there as well. Uh, I imagine there'll be more. Um, so they're, they're, they've got some pretty substantial backers as well. Um, that's all really interesting stuff, Steve. Um, I get. I guess I don't know. I don't know why I've just sort of decided to be the. Cynic You're just a professional this. cynic. Get... Your heart's not in it. No, it's not that. Spend your life living life on the limit. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. Um, is that right? Um, I, I don't know. I think I'm just sort of on the cusp with all this stuff. Is that? I'm massively for people trying to grow the game. I'm massively for a dumbing down of the kind of the stuffy rules around it. Um, I'm massively for um, golf clubs in general being more welcoming places. I'm massively for making it easier for to get kids interested and keep kids interested in the game. Um, I just worry that often we're tr- with golf, we're trying to sort of square peg round hole it a lot. Um, and I think that there there are there are like two significant barriers i think in terms of golf facilities per se succeeding on that basis is one is chimney pots like you have to have like people don't you that's the thing so i mean you can see that sort of thing working there's a place like a dilapidated uh nine oler in kirkstall in leeds isn't there and there's gotts park and places like that that were sort of reinvented um as family friendly facilities you can sort of see that working because there's enough people it's not going to work in um, rural locations, so just there just there just isn't the volume of people. Um, so it is a sort of urban facility. So that's one thing. The second thing is the weather. I just don't think you can get away from the fact that golf 
in whatever form you take it is like basically an outdoor sport yes you can hit balls on a range yes you can do um adventure golf inside but it's still better when it's sunny um, and it's not sunny very often in glasgow it's a rather stereotypical approach to a very large area of scotland um so i you know me i am an optimistic person by nature i think so i i i would go into a facility like that and you would expect me to come out and be raving about it because that's what i tend to be like um particularly about shiny new things you know i i like to see the um the positive sides of of this i i do think there is enough there to keep people interested and and it was interesting that as I left yesterday, as I was going to the car, there were people who lived nearby who were asking me what it was like um, and telling me that they were going to be going this weekend. Now, obviously, there's a bit of shiny new toy about that. You know, when you open something as big as this, with this kind of publicity, with with that kind, there, there, there is going to be a little bit of, well, let's go and see what it's like. And the proof in the pudding is going to be, as you say, how many people are booking in in February in the middle of winter that there is that. But I also think that um, there does, there does need to be a joined up approach to how we try and get people into the game. And I, and I also think that there is avidness. There is a natural avidness that when people actually try golf, they do tend to like it to start with, and then they fall away because of a lot of different reasons, one of which is availability, another which is, as you alluded to earlier on, the stupid rules that then become imposed on them as they as they go up the chain. So it'll be interesting to see in the future whether they're still getting the bookings in six months that they are now. But I do think the signs are I do think the signs are good. I do think they're targeting, they're not necessarily targeting golfers. They're targeting families. They want people to go and spend a day there. Um, they want people to go and have dinner, have, have something to eat there. They want people to go and have a drink there. They want people to go and walk around. And then they also want you to play the adventure golf. They want you to play the paddle tennis. They want you to play on the driving range. They want you to go on the golf course. But I don't think they're singularly wedded just to the idea of people using it as a destination to hit a white ball with a stick. I think they want it to be a bit bigger than that. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I think the idea of having people cycling and um, running or walking around paths around the golf course is really good because at least you're getting a glimpse of it then and at least you know you're welcome. Um, I think that's very smart. I think uh, the pickleball thing is like a that's – a, that's a cliche too far for me. Pickleball is just like the it's like the squash was in the eighties. But right? it is the big every 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 golf course in the eighties thought. I know what we'll do. We'll open a squash. It, it, it is the big thing at the moment. I mean, it's it's enormously popular. And look, even I've looked at it and thought, do you know what? I wouldn't mind having a go at that. And I was awful at tennis. I mean, like, have you ever tried to see me serve? It was. It's honestly, it's the most ungainly action ever. I've told you, it's like CrossFit. It's a sport for people who peaked at high school. That's <laughs> what it is. Anyway, you uh, you said there that you liked shiny new things, Steve. I do. And regular listeners will know that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at TaylorMade Golf. And we have both been furnished with uh, new sets of TaylorMade Golf. Shine, shiny new things. 
Absolutely. But we're both missing a wedge or have been missing a wedge. So I don't know how you've been coping with your missing wedge, but I've been playing with 13 clubs. Well, my wedge was delivered several weeks ago and I seem to have coped with it quite fine because it's yet to it's yet to be uncovered from its wrapper. And I did play yesterday with the wedge in my golf bag still in its cellophane and it remains in its cellophane. Yeah, so I so I I'm missing my uh, let me get this right. I'm missing my 52, I think. No, I'm missing 54. I'm missing a 50, right? So I haven't missed it, I don't think. I've been merrily playing my golf. I've never thought, oh, wish my 50 was here. I've just got on with it with my 13 clubs that I've got. And it kind of makes you think, like, why why 14 clubs? Is it too many? Like, it's a lot to carry for a start. For those of us that carry a single strap bag because we're fully paid up members of the woke karate. Uh, it's, it's heavy, man. So can you, can you, as an esteemed golf historian that you are, in fact, you sort of, uh, you're very, um, what's the word? What's one of those things that changes? It's, uh, you're very chameleon, aren't you, these days? One minute you're up at golf it in your pumps and your uh, pedal pushing trousers. Next minute you're, Bonafide golf historian. I did. I did have um, a pair of those kind of Van Royen trousers. Um, I got some for review. Yes, you did. I have not kept them. That's a step too far for me. Um, we didn't wear them yesterday. No, of course I did not. Oh, I, I thought you'd have been there, like in you. I was there in my. But you might have got a tattoo. Or something. I was there in my NCG branded hoodie. Is that enough for you? Um, but I, I, oh yes, I did see that. I did say that I couldn't, because so, there were a couple, there were a few guys out there, and they were playing in jeans. Um, and I did say I, I, I actually wore a pair of golf trousers, and I drove up knowing that I didn't need to wear them. Um, and I still kept them on. And I just said to the guys that it's just false a habit. I just, I've just done it for so long that the idea of sort of going in a pair of jogger bottoms. But I have no problem with people who do. Hmm. Um, but you, when you're not modernising, you do know quite a bit about the history of the game, don't you? You read an awful lot of stuff. You collect golfing memorabilia. Don't I you? collect golfing memorabilia. I collect golfing books. I've got a lot of old golf books. We've we've used some of them in this podcast before, haven't we? Thinking about we the have, badminton yeah. library, Horace Hutchinson. I've got an yeah, eighteen. That, that was a good I've got one. an eighteen ninety copy of that. Jesus. Anyway, so can you tell me? Using drawing on your uh, vast reservoirs of knowledge, why it's for you're actually leafing through yeah. something. Aren't so you? this week's book is <laughs> this week's book. Why is it? Why do we use fourteen clubs, yeah. Steve? So this week's book for podcast listeners, um, you can get this on Amazon for about three quid. And if you've got any sort of interest in the rules, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. It was written about thirty, please, can you, thirty years ago. Please, please, can you click to Amazon via nationalclubgolfer.com so we get a commission? Oh, you'll have to give me an affiliate link for this second-hand book then. Um, so this book is called uh, The Rules of the Green, and it was written by Kenneth Chapman in about 1990. So all the rules numbers are different, but if you're interested in the kind of um, uh, the birth of the rules and how they've came to be as we now play them today, it's an excellent resource for that. And some of you may have read some of Kenneth's work in my piece on stroke and distance, um, where I relied quite strongly on um Kenneth revealing the many and varied ways in which stroke and distance has punished us or not in the past. Anyway, there is a section about uh, clubs and the ball. So Kenneth 
in his book reveals why we have 14 clubs. And it's because of a guy called Robert Harris, who was chairman of the golf ball subcommittee of the RNA rules of golf committee. And um, basically it's because of the the advent of steel clubs. So with hickory clubs, you tended to use several clubs for a lot of different purposes. And apparently, according to Kenneth Chapman, the rigidity of steel made it necessary to use more clubs to produce the same result. And what happened was um, some golfers started to take the mick, if that's the best way of putting it. Uh, Kenneth uses the example of a guy called Lawson Little, um, who won two amateur championships and two US amateur championships. And in the 1934 and 1935 editions at Prestwick and Rolitham, he had as many as 31 clubs in his bag. 31. Yeah. So just imagine this. What's he called? Law- Lawson, Lawson Little. Lawson Little, yeah. Just imagine this poor caddy. So like Hannah Holden would be the Lawson Little of our office. If she could have 31 clubs, she would do any advantage to be gained. Just um, run that by me again. So hickory, because hickory is like whippier and stuff, the, you can hit a, a sort of bigger variety of shots with one club, basically. Yeah, steel shafts basically you... changed the game in that respect. So at least the practitioners felt that you needed more clubs to to kind of provide the same result. So 14 appears to be quite arbitrary. It, it doesn't. There doesn't seem to be any any real thought behind 14 or if at least if there was it's not it's not revealed as to why but anyway by the night by the sort of mid 1930s the rna and the usga were talking about this um and um harris put a motion before the rna rules committee in november of 1936 the membership didn't go along with him at that point but the usga put a 14 limit into effect in 1938 and the RNA followed in 1939. So since 1939, there has been a limit of 14 clubs. And again, I mean, the question is asked in, in, in Kenneth Chapman's book, why 14, why not 12, why not 15? And he reports that the exact number seems to have been arrived at quite arbitrarily. But that's golf, isn't it? I mean, lots of things in golf have happened quite arbitrarily. The number of holes, for example, you know, the size of the, the, size of the cup itself all of these things have happened more out of luck than judgment i was um i was trying to mangle a theory about um were they thinking it'd give you a different club for every for tee shots that you required a different club for that sort of died a death when i couldn't make it fit into my logic but if you sort of if your starting point is you have to have a putter so it's actually 13 clubs isn't it really do you have to have a putter? No, I don't. No, you don't, do you? Because if people snap their putters, you see them putting with wedges and various other implements, various other irons. So I don't think you're actually. I can't think there's a rule of golf that says. Maybe I'm wrong, but I've read the rules of golf many times. I can't think of one saying you must have a putter. Sometimes I feel like I might as well not bother carrying a putter. I feel like so that. How have all the you time. got? How have you got on when you've played in a uh, four clubs and a putter competition or, or when you've gone out with a half set? What's your personal experiences of better. it? Better. I, I just play better, Tom. 
And and I think this is because when you have fewer clubs, you don't force things in the same way. If I've got a shot that's 180 yards, for example, I know that if I hit a good five iron, I can reach it with my five iron. But I also know that because I'm not amazing at golf, the five iron is is a low percentage shot for me. Yes, I will get it right sometimes, but I'm as likely to get it wrong as I am to get it right. And when you do get it wrong, that is when you introduce the prospect of lost balls and penalties and so on, which are real scorecard wreckers. All right, so if I have a seven iron in my bag, if I'm doing a two two club and putter or a three club and putter and I've got a driver, a seven iron, a nine iron and a putter for whatever, I know that I can't reach that that green with my seven iron. I know it. So I play more accordingly. I don't lose my ball. Maybe I'll get up and down still, which is, I think, what tends to happen, actually. Um, you take disaster out of the equation because you're not trying to force things that you do when you've got lots of clubs. And I, and I find that as I hit seven iron quite well, I get into a groove of hitting good golf shots, one good golf shot, becomes another good golf shot yeah, yeah. and yeah. then and then i just play better i just play better and some of my best scores have been three two club and putter three club and putter and i know that's not just me i know a lot of other higher handicappers who play you know in two club and putter and so such competitions feel the same way and it's because they're not trying to do stupid things with clubs that they, they'll maybe hit one in ten that's my that's how i feel about it anyway what about you well, that's it. There's a there's a, there's a massive thing about the clarity of thought it brings. I absolutely agree with you. Um, that you just sort of you're coming at it from a slightly different position, I think, because you're saying you kind of just get what you're given. So, if you've got the you have, if you don't have a 200 yard club, you can't hit it 200 yards. So you're gonna have to hit it 150 yards and then 50, is what you're basically saying. Uh, so I sort of get that from a kind of it. It takes a lot of um, the kind of bravado and the um, the machismo out of it, and you just sort of have to um, play what's in front of you. Um, there, I think there is other examples of that, like the World Speed Golf Championships. I think they carry like two or three clubs and they leg it round in um, an hour. And the way that works is they add they add they add the amount of time it takes them to run round the golf course to their score. Um, I can't quite remember the the numbers, but it's something in the region of it's like a four four or five k run, which they do in let's say twenty five minutes, half an hour, um, and then they add that to a score, which is often in the seventies. Um, so I always think there's the loads that you could pick over with that is that the, the winning score in the week, the World Speed Golf Championships is something just over 100. So the minutes plus the strokes. Um, so there's this, there's a massive argument that all this fuss we make about well, what club is it and how am I going to approach this shot? If you just get on with it and whack it with what's in your club and progress it towards the hole, you're going to get on a lot better. So I think that is that is definitely kind of one side of it. Um, I think I was going to take the part of the conversation more in a sort of shot shaping um direction um it's interesting that you say that the the sort of advent of steel clubs meant that they kind of increased the number of clubs because um i guess what they were saying is it was producing more um one-dimensional flights um, or they were only able to produce one more one-dimensional flights and that i guess has been the sort of progression of equipment right up till now isn't it that the ball is more stable modern clubs are way, way harder to shape than they were previously. They're all designed to keep the thing going straight. They don't want they don't want you to be able to curve the ball because that's when problems occur. 
but it does also take some of the artistry out of it. And one way of putting artistry back in, and anyone who spent any time with kind of golf psychologists or performance coaches at golf will tell you that they will all say to you, go and play golf with a half set. Um, and try and if you're if you're someone who's spending an awful lot of time grinding on a range through winter and you're trying to groove a particular action at golf what happens is you tend to go on to the golf course and you play driving range you don't play golf um, and one of the kind of ways of um, picking away at the layers of that is to go out with a half set or three or four clubs and you it forces you to be able to hit different shapes it forces you to hit um, the same club different distances and it brings some of that artistry back in that might be at odds with the first point. I'm not sure that matters. And that, I think, definitely works for me in that I just feel like I'm 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 having more fun if I leave half my clubs in the bag at boot of my car. First of all, my bag's lighter, and that is definitely a thing. So I just feel, feel lighter on my feet. Um, I feel like I'm out there just for the sort of joy of it, and I'm, I'm, I'm much more concerned about the shot than I am the score. So I think it moves your brain from um, being totally focused on result to more focused on execution because instead of thinking, how am I going to make a par at this hole? You're thinking, how am I going to get my seven iron to go 120 yards that back right flag? Um, and I think that brings your brain right into the moment, which I think is a huge benefit to lots of golfers. And then the third thing I was going to say, which you might have something to say on, is whenever there's a debate about um, the ball rollback or... Um, how can we make the game more challenging for tour pros who are sort of producing record scores week in, week out and, quote, reducing the game to bomb and gouge? Like, often people will pop up on social media and say, limit the number of clubs, it's the easiest thing to do, as if that will make the game harder for them. Um, and I'm never sort of quite convinced about that. Um, to go back to an earlier point first, um, I played a hickory round recently with about eight clubs, eight, nine, so there eight, you go. eight, nine clubs. There you go again. This is unbelievable. This is the same the same guy, by the way, who yesterday was like ripped jeans, leather jacket, had his headphones in, music blaring, probably got a golf fit tattoo on his calf or something. This is the same guy who 10 days ago was in plus fours and hickories. Literally was, You're literally was in pluses as well. And I had the hat. You, you, you're a chameleon. I got absolutely destroyed on social media because I couldn't find my tradition shoes and I had to wear a pair of white shoes. So, you, I mean, you've seen the picture. The picture is there on social media for those who want to pick at me. I was basically there in, you know, the whole 1930s garb. The really annoying thing about it was that the the shirt, the tie and the sweater were not 1930s at all. They were all new. So I don't know what that says about my fashion sense. But anyway, uh, but the point I, the point I was getting to was, I played with eight or nine clubs and um, because my expectations were different because they were, some of those clubs were 130 years old that I was using, the way that I approached the game was different as well. So I became utterly uninterested in shot shape and actually how the shot was played. The only thing I was bothered actually about was where does the ball end up? Um, and I also played a variety of different shots with those clubs that I would just never have played had I had my modern set. And not only was it more fun, but I actually think I scored really well too. I mean, there's the limitations of hickory clubs. They go a lot. They don't go nearly as far. You know, I'm hitting, I was hitting a, a wooden club about 165 yards. 
Um, so your expectations change, your scoring changes, but I felt like I played a lot better. And I felt like I played a lot better because I had fewer clubs and because I had to play a variety of different shots with the same clubs. And I worked out how to use them and it was a lot more, and it was, it was a lot more fun. So I think there's an awful lot to that. It, it, the second point, I do think golf would be harder for the professional players if you limited the number of clubs because where you would limit the clubs for them is right in the short game um, where they're carrying four wedges and more and loft and, you know, lofted uh, wedges up to 64 degrees and stuff like that. If you limited the clubs to say 10, um, they would have a choice. They would have to either lose some long clubs or they would have to lose the number of wedges. And if they lose the number of wedges, they're going to have to play different types of wedge, wedge shot. They're just going to have to. You might see some more, I mean, not in America because their golf courses are just not set up this way, but, but maybe that could change the way courses are set up if you forced golfers with fewer wedges to do more kind of chip and run sort of shots, run it in rather than just high and land flop types because they've got wedges going from 44 to 64. Um, I, I, I genuinely think that that would ask more questions of them. Um, you, there's not, rolling the ball back is not going to make much difference to these guys in terms of the overall length that they hit the ball. I think even the RNA and the USGA understand that. People who are mixed up with the ball distance debate think this is about like, all right, we're going to have these players hitting 260-yard drives. That, that's never going to happen. They're just going to be hitting it 300 instead of 320. You know, The reason for the, the, the golf ball rollback is because that 20 yards makes an absolute difference in terms of the way that you manage a golf course, the land that you need for that golf course. It's got nothing to do with how spectators will see golfers hit the ball. So I actually think if you want to make professional golf more interesting, then you would limit the number of golf clubs and you would limit them at the at the high end of the loft range. Yeah, it's a very, very well described point. I think you're um, the sort of, the conflation with the um, golf ball rollback is interesting. So what what a golf back rollback, golf ball rollback will do is it will be the same for everybody, right? So the longest hitter will still be the longest hitter. All it, all it is designed to do is kind of limit the impact that distance hitting is having on some historical venues. I think that's a totally different point. I think if you did limit the number of clubs that um, players could carry, it would all of a sudden bring different players to the fore and people talk a lot about artistry being removed from golf and I guess the hope would be that would be the sort of thing that it would return because at the moment all sports are increasingly dominated by athletes aren't they and this is a really difficult point to argue against so if you say if you say that in a negative way people going what are you talking about how are you possibly being critical of athleticism but if you go and watch a rugby match now um, of either code or if you go and watch a football match or a tennis match or whatever else, it is people who are faster, stronger, bigger, who tend to dominate. Um, and golf is very much going the same way, isn't it? Um, so whether you, whether or not you think that is a kind of um, a positive or a negative, I guess, is what side of the debate you're on. But it would be interesting to see the impact on who who did well with um, fewer clubs because I don't think it's a given that the best players in the world will still be the best players in the world if they were asked to be hitting shaping shots and 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 thinking slightly differently with fewer clubs yeah I mean I, I think it would just make the game more interesting 
Um, and I, I just think for 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 these for these um, ex unbelievably good practitioners around the green is not a challenge anymore. Um, they they mm. are very yeah, yeah. very disappointed if they do not get up and down as they should be. They've spent a lot of time practicing it, and they and they are the best in their world at their craft. But um, the game has now become strokes gained essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's all data. Yeah, I mean, just we talked about bunkers last week, but I mean, like things like the sand wedge and bounce has massively um, been a massive was a massive advancement and made that particular shot um, much more comfortable for a lot, a lot more players. Can you think of someone who wouldn't be happy if the number of clubs were limited? Hmm, Mickelson. I was more thinking of Bob TaylorMade. Really, hmm. I don't think. That, I'm not sure the equipment manufacturers would be over the moon, would they? If we were all of a sudden buying fewer golf clubs. Yeah, no. I, I mean, there is. If anyone wants to believe that our podcast is completely independent, then the last 20 minutes are basically the proof of that, as we've advocated for fewer would, golf clubs. We would like everyone to be buying fewer golf clubs, please. And we'd like we'd like the rough cut as well, so people lost fewer golf clubs. We're a disaster for the uh, the commercial side of the golf industry. Isn't it? The, 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 the... Go on. We, ju- we, we just can't be bought, Tom. <laughs> the fewer clubs thing, I think, is 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 interesting, though, isn't it? And it'd be good, it'd be good to hear what people think. And I would it'd be worth us looking at like what the scores are in um, two, three clubs and a putter and see see if they do like vary wildly. It'd make the game cheaper for people to get into if they had to buy less kit. Well, I I, I reckon that the scores for fewer for fewer club competitions will be better, and I can tell you why with one shot. Right, I'll give you one shot that if if I had a pound for every time that I've seen a high handicapper. So when I talk high handicapper, I'm saying twenty four and above, perched right by a green, try and take a very lofted club as a chipping as a chipping tool. If I had a pound for every time I've seen a player do that and then chunk it two yards, I wouldn't have to be doing this podcast with you, Tom. I'd be re- retired in a yacht on the Maldives somewhere. Um, and that, for me, is like the biggest advocate of it because every, every player who struggles to hit a ball should never attempt a big flop shot or a big chip shot. They should just run it in with a lower lofted, like run your seven iron in there. It'll, it'll be a much bigger, better result. Your scores will be much lower. And that for me is like the single valedictory statement that I'm going to make for fewer clubs because we've introduced clubs into the game, which we all have, we've all got them, and we can't hit them. I can't hit a 20-degree hybrid. I carry it. I cannot hit it off the floor. I can't hit a three-wood off the floor. I don't know why I've got one. I I, I use a three wood once every four rounds, but I still carry it, even though I know it's disaster. I'm all in, Steve. I think I'm all in on this. Be very interested to hear what our listeners and readers think about it. Uh, I can hear you penning the piece for the website already. Uh, it was good that. Um, so we're back next week. You've got a special guest for the week after, haven't you? I have, but I'm not going to reveal who it is yet. Because we've, we've 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 well we've had a habit of revealing special guests and then they've kind of like left us in the lurch. So how that's happened. So. Yeah. Um, 
please do subscribe to us if you're an Apple or an Android listener. Please do subscribe on uh, your podcast host of choice. It really helps in terms of getting our most up-to-date content and you'll get a little notification when a new podcast's out. Um, we've got quite a loyal audience. We'd like a bigger one. Uh, do write in and tell us what you think of the podcast. Lots of people do. Uh, and do write in if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about. Yes, thank you for all your correspondence. We will see you next week. Cheers, Tom. Bye.